Chelsea Fairless and welcome to another episode of the Every Outfit podcast where every single week on Sunday we send each other a text message where we go there's just nothing to talk about like what are what are we even going to talk about and by Wednesday we're like we have too much we have too many things to talk about yeah yesterday was kind of a landmark day in culture for us between the Sada Ramirez variety profile Kim Kardashian skincare line and the Amber Heard Johnny Depp verdict. There was just a lot going on, all of which we'll discuss, of course. And I want to be a good ally and wish you a happy pride. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> Actually, I do owe you an apology because I think it's a major fuck up that I wasn't able to secure the requisite gay influencer spawn. You know what homophobia is? <laughs> Us getting absolutely no Pride Month spawn con from anyone. Not so much as an ugly rainbow t-shirt. <laughs> I went to Citibank the other day and they replaced like the swish on the top of Citibank right? with like a rainbow. And I was like, if you guys were true allies, you'd give your gay employees the Monday off after Pride. Oh, I thought you were going to say if you come in, you know, you go to restaurants, you're like, it's my birthday, you get a free dessert. If you go into the city bank and you're like, I'm gay, they give you a $2 bill. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. There's a store in Provincetown called Women Crafts. I believe that's spelled with a Y. And there is a lesbian discount. It's like 15%. <laughs> All right. Where do we begin? Our mornings were rocked with the news that Sarah Jessica Parker wants all of us to know. It wasn't her fault that Kim wasn't in it just like that, okay? The studio did not want her. Right. Sarah Jessica Parker is clearly doing the rounds to get that Emmy nomination for in just like that. She was on the Hollywood Reporter podcast called Awards Chatter. And at the end of the podcast, the person interviewing her was talking about what was different about this new series, one of which was that Kim Cattrall wasn't in the show, which she could have been like, yeah, you know, the, the standard quotes that she's given all throughout the initial press run. But she decided to go into a very detailed explanation of the content of why Kim was not in the show. Right. And this is the first time she's talked about it since Kim Cattrall's variety profile that came out last month. Right, which would explain why instead of giving that practice answer she gave during the initial press run of in just like that, she gave this more detailed answer. Although it was more detailed, there wasn't anything that we didn't already know, right? I think what's more telling is that Sarah Jessica Parker even devoted this much time to discussing the matter. Yeah. And the fact that she wanted us all to stop calling it a cat fight because it's one-sided. Right. Like, ugh. <laughs> Again, you, at this point, I need someone. Michael Patrick King, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kim Cattrall, even a studio, an intern working at Warner Brothers in 2017, what were Kim Cattrall's demands? Because we've heard it was she wanted Warner Brothers to greenlight some movies she did. 
What yeah. was it? Now I need to know. Yeah. Because Sarah Jessica Parker reiterates that it's like, well, Kim had demands that the studio wasn't going to meet. Well, I think that was the most interesting thing about this was the fact that Kim's variety cover and especially her speech were all about the power of saying no. And Sarah Jessica Parker, not bitchly at all, but very slyly made the point that she never said no to anything. First, the studio said no to her. Right. around the third film, right. right? They said no to her, and then no one asked her to be an end just like that. So she couldn't say no to that either. That would be like if I was like, oh, I said no to being the new co-host on, like, Call Her Daddy. <laughs> and it's like, bitch, no one asked you to be. Because Sarah Jessica Parker's like, well, she clearly didn't want to be in the third film, so we th- why bother asking her about the series? It's like, you could ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could have asked. To your point, Chelsea, nothing she said was new, but the things, the specific things she did choose to say about the situation, I found more interesting. Like Sarah Jessica Parker wanted it to be known that no one has ever said a bad word about her. To which Minnie Driver posted on her Instagram post about this, um, there are other people. Which I was like, interesting, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge, they've never been in a film together. I think if you're famous, it doesn't matter how nice or not nice you are. People will find a way to talk about you negatively for whatever reason. That's just part of being famous. I know, but there's a part of this and maybe my brain and a lot of Sex and the City fans' brains are so queued up to like housewives fights. And this feels like a housewife fight because... Because on Thursday afternoon, Kathy Najimy tweeted, which feels like a subtweet, at Kim Cattrall, sending you all the love and support in the world, world, all caps, today, one of the best, most authentic humans in the business, and maybe the world, dinner soon, my love. Very public. She could have just texted Kim. Also, this is, of course, Sarah Jessica's co-star in Hocus Pocus and the soon-to-be-released Hocus Pocus 2, which they're going to have to do press for yeah, forever. Ka- yeah, Kathy Najimy, you haven't even done the press tour yet. Do you want to fly first class to this press tour? <laughs> it's just the t- Today Show appearance, and it's like Sarah Jessica <laughs> Parker, an empty chair in Bette Midler. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she doesn't have to take sides. And I love that Kathy Najimi is refusing to take sides. That's pretty cool. I mean, we're not taking sides. And look, we've gotten a lot of DMs. We've had a lot of conversations with people that have worked with Sarah Jessica Parker and have worked with Kim Cattrall, some of whom have worked on Sex in the City. And some of them side with SJ and some of them side with Kim. It's not overwhelmingly one or the other. Yeah. So... Who knows? Look, I love DC films and Marvel films. (laughs) Don't make me choose. Again, I can't believe we've spent almost, I don't know, five minutes talking about this when the thing that I thought we would spend like an hour discussing is Sada Ramirez on the cover of Variety for the Pride issue. Oh, there's no reason for us not to spend an hour talking about this. Variety is the gift that keeps on giving, truly. I mean, I think I made this joke, which is not a very unique joke, about the, yep, I'm Che. 
I don't think they got it from listening to me on one of our And Just Like That episodes, but like, I can't believe they really did it. It's pretty cool. I thought that was really funny. Hey, it's Che Diaz would have also worked. Right. But I thought it was an interesting choice because I thought that they might take a minute and step away from Che a little bit, but it's impossible to do that when the cover line is referencing the character and... Most of the article is about Che Diaz and the backlash and the drama around that. But before we get into the article, I just want to say that Sada Ramirez seems like a cool person. This is a profile of them. I don't want to conflate them with Che, but again, as I've said, it's hard. It seems like Michael Patrick King is. (laughs) Yeah. Shall we start with a couple of daddy MPK quotes from the article? The one thing that I noticed off the bat, because it's one of the first things that is stated in the article, is um, they have started the writer's room for And Just Like That season two. I guess, uh, Chell, we didn't make the cut again. <laughs> well, we know that they had and that we were never going to. <laughs> At this point, all we want to do is go in there with like a crazy PowerPoint <laughs> and just like be the liaison between the viewer and the creator. But no one wants that. So that's fine. So Michael Patrick King says the first season was judging a book by its cover and season two is is about reading the book. But what book are we reading? Because it is it a book by Candace Bushnell or is it Year of Magical Thinking? I guess we're going to have to find out. Is he referring specifically to Che? I took Maybe. It, I took it as the book of Che. Like <laughs> the book of Che. You've judged the exterior of Che and now we're going to we're going to do some interior work. Okay, I'm down cuz that's the whole thing we want. We want it to feel like more of a dimensional character, right? I think the quote that we've all been dissecting for the last 24 hours is, one of my burning passions about season two is Che. I want to show the dimension of Che that people didn't see. For whatever reason, because they were blinded out of fear or terror, I want to show more of Che rather than less of Che. Like, really. Okay, we obviously love our dad, Daddy MPK, but no one was scared of Che. We just thought Che was corny, and it's as simple as that. We also felt protective of Miranda. Of course, that also played into it. I talked about this on our second Patreon episode that was breaking down the series, and I expressed my concern that they were going to internalize the criticism in the same way that Kathleen Kennedy and a lot of the top brass at Star Wars did, which was conflating legitimate narrative criticism with, like, bigoted people. Right. But I would love to know, who is this hypothetical bigoted viewer that somehow loves the Sex in the City universe and everything that it encompasses for the last 25 years, but hates the queer agenda, question mark? I think with any mass market show, sure, there's going to be a percentage of people that are bigots or racist or whatever. That's a fact, but that is by no means the majority of people, and that is by no means the root of the criticism of Che Diaz. Also, what about Rabbi Jen? We loved Rabbi Jen. Yeah. One thing that I really took issue with in this article is that the writer continually reinforces the idea that the negative response to Che was a direct result of racism and of hatred towards gender nonconforming people. So first she writes, To some old school Sex in the City viewers, Che was a bridge too far in the show's attempt to be more inclusive by adding characters of color. And then she goes on to say, Che became an object of cruel mockery, the progenitor of a million hates Che Diaz memes and jokes about their 
Netflix comedy concert, as Miranda nerdily called it. When those detractors included LGBTQ viewers, the idea of Che exposed that perhaps those people simply wanted more palatable representation, more white and more cisgender. So first of all, the LGBTQ community that you speak of is not exclusively comprised of white cis people. Like you can't make a blanket statement like that. And secondly, as someone that is so immersed in the Che Diaz discourse, I can confidently say that like not vibing with Che transcends race and gender. I agree with you. And I think it's so weird the feeling I got from this article and even the way that Michael Patrick King talks about Che is they're putting it on Sada and their identity and not the writing. Yeah. Like it's being internalized as if we're saying fuck Sada and not fuck Che. Totally. And they put a lot of Big's toxic traits, the emotional unavailability, the mixed signals, and overlaid that on a queer character and said... That's progress. Where's my gold star? Yeah. And we were like, no, it's a terrible person you've created, which honestly isn't that progress. <laughs> yes. That gender nonconforming people can be <laughs> can be terrible. terrible. <laughs> no, absolutely. But I thought that Sada kind of reinforced this a bit because they said, if you're going to get caught up in this character, at least learn about how people like Che Diaz are currently trying to survive escalating attacks on our community. It's like, okay, well now I can't say anything bad about Che because they brought up hate crimes. And like, just because someone makes a joke about Che Diaz doesn't mean that they're like necessarily ignorant to the fact that trans and non-binary people are like disproportionately affected by violence. Like that's illogical. Do you think that Michael Patrick King is gonna wrap this into Che's new comedy concert? Well, I'm more scared that something bad is going to happen to Che Diaz in season two, just to remind the audience about how terrible the world is. Oh, like it's an early aughts queerest folk episode? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, to me, this article signifies that they aren't going to break Miranda and Che up just to prove a point to the audience. Well, I read this article about like how to talk to conspiracy theorists. <laughs> and they said that like when someone expresses an opinion and someone else challenges that, the human instinct is to like exaggerate even further and to double down. Like that's just like how we're programmed to behave. So that's kind of what they're probably going to do right. with this. See, I think, and this is at the heart of the situation, is Michael Patrick King thinks we're the conspiracy theorists, and all the viewers of And Just Like That believe he's the conspiracy theorist. Yeah. I just, like, can't believe the tone of this article. Like, I can't... <laughs> like, blaming the fan reaction on <laughs> racism and transphobia is so fucking dark when there's so many, like, actual instances of this in the world. It's kind of like that scene in The Family Stone where, like, Rachel McAdams <laughs> gaslights the family into thinking that Sarah Jessica Parker's character did something fucked up. Yeah. Look, I still think and Just Like That can be saved. I think there Absolutely. could be a good season. The nicest spin I can put on this is that they do break up Miranda and Che, and Che becomes like a Samantha-esque figure in the show. Maybe a Shane of the show, like whoring it up and bringing that talk to, to the brunch, which I'm fine with. I think they need to be self-aware, and by they I mean the creators of Just Like That, need to be self-aware about the cheesiness of Chadia's and like lean into it. I believe we talked about this 
on a Patreon episode, but their sitcom needs to come out and it needs to be called Hey, It's Che Diaz. And the key art needs to be really embarrassing and it needs to be like all over the city. Like we need to just accept what we've done and embrace it and play with it instead of double down and do like whatever they're going to do. Oh boy. Buckle up, guys. Look, this is all good for us in our business. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this article also had a lot of wild quotes. Did you clock this? After all, when Nixon looks back, Miranda, despite her interest in men, had many queer and frankly lesbi- lesbianic? Le- yeah. Lesbianic? I think it's lesbianic. <laughs> well, Let's be honest. <laughs> no. She was a stand-in for the gay woman we didn't have. Parentheses, Nixon adds, I think Samantha was a different kind of queer. Sure, she's trisexual. <laughs> she's the one that actually had sex with a woman. Sure, I, I couldn't understand if Cynthia was trying to be like, you know, she's a gay man trapped in a woman's body. I could see that for Samantha. And yeah, I agree that Mirandon definitely was a stand-in character. I mean, that's true of many characters in film and television throughout history that are just kind of a little coded. And I don't necessarily think that was the intention behind Miranda, but clearly we got a vibe. And again, our concern doesn't come from hating gender non-conforming people and not wanting them on our TV screens. I think because of this doubling down and if they do remain together, you're actually robbing the much richer story of seeing Miranda in her 50s dating for the first time. Yeah. We'll get there at some point. Season four. Yeah. Season four. That sounds about right. Should we talk about the photos? Oh, what did you think of the styling, Chell? <sighs> Again, Asada looks hot. It's not about them, but the makeup and the styling was hard for me. Yes, I will say. I think that if I had been in charge of this shoot, I think they need like a Willy Shaveria makeover. Ooh. Full on. And then it needs to be nice like Ethan James Green portraits or something. The Harlequin heart around the face was hard. Well, it kind of looked like, because it was red, it kind of looked like a sunburn or a rash or something. It did not convey as a heart initially. It took a second. Yeah. Wait, is it a heart? (laughs) I think there's this unspoken thing that when it's the pride issue, you have to have like face jewels and shit like this, you know, where you, you don't. I mean, we saw the Esquire cover with Elliot Page that was pretty hot. It was very hot. Shall we move on to SJP's wallpaper line? Initially, the only Sex in the City related thing we thought we were going to talk about this week. Yeah, we thought we were going to be scraping the barrel with and just like that news. But look at us now. Not that this is the bottom of the barrel. She did a collaboration with a company called Wall Shop and designed... 220 individual wallpapers although many of them are just like humongous carnations in various colorways and you may remember these wallpapers from and just like that remember when we were like literally like why does every room in her house have these wallpapers with this like insane scale now we know why yeah i do love sarah jessica parker she's like i'm not carrie but also Sarah Jessica Parker designing carnation wallpaper for Carrie's apartment. Well, it does tie in with Carrie because she has an established history of loving carnations as addressed in the episode where Berger breaks up with her. Yeah, I think when you go to the website and you see the carnation wallpaper because it's a much wider view, you're like, oh, that's pretty. And then you just put your arrow over and it shows it on the wall and the carnations are so gigantic. Yeah. They're pumpkin-sized carnations, just so you guys can understand. I've never seen a pumpkin that large. I don't even know. They're like, they're the size of like Great Danes. 
I look a lot of it is a little too sort of feminine traditional country-ish for my particular taste but there was some cute stuff like there were some cute ginghams it would look amazing like if you wanted to make a little girl's room look like the book cover for the lonely doll (laughs) it made me want an accent wall of a sage green gingham yeah which I previously had never felt before so there were also some good like thick stripes that had really good color combinations that I feel like would look fantastic in a bathroom. Anyway, what is she going to do next? Oh, what category of lifestyle could she move into? Because the last thing she did was those Cosmos, which no one sent us to this day. Wow. I'm also noticing, I didn't realize this, one of the wallpaper is just old books. Mm -hmm. which is like the next level of celebrities that don't even want to have a book, a bookshelf stylist come in. Yeah. It's just fake book wallpaper. Why not? Or real book wallpaper. I feel like there's a room in the Soho house, like the meat packing district that has walls (laughs) like that. I don't, I don't doubt it. Uh, What other lifestyle category could she get into? Well, we've got shoes. There was that disastrous. She's got perfume, of course. Yeah. What was disastrous? The Halston run. Right. So I don't think she'll go back. She's got a book imprint. I mean, cars, a collab with Fiat. You'd buy a tiny, <laughs> tiny gingham, Sarah Jessica Parker, Parker. Fiat. No, no, yeah. no. If it was all giant carnations, but because it's a Fiat, it can only fit one of the giant carnations on the hood and one on the trunk. <sighs> anyway, enough about this. Let's talk about the fact that there's a book club sequel happening. I know. I sent that to you. I was like, Chell's going to be so, so excited. Happy. I know. I was. I was. And quite like Sex in the City, too. It's like, we're going to Europe. Yeah. They're going to Italy, I think. You know, Jane Fonda's character in Book Club owned a hotel. So maybe she's expanding overseas or something. Great. This is the cinematic universe I want. <laughs> I also love how the book club girls adhere to the Sex and the City personality archetype so closely. Like Candace Bergen is literally Miranda. Yeah. She's a judge. Jane Fonda, obviously Samantha. Mary Steenburgen, definitely Charlotte. And might I say, great casting for Charlotte's mom on in just like that <laughs> if we ever want to go that route. Perfect. And then Diane Keaton, of course, is Carrie, the resident fashion play and the most neurotic. And like, it's so charming that these women are actually friends. But I wonder if like... Unlike a certain four woman (laughs) franchise. Well, three of the women are friends. That's true. And you can tell, you know. But I wonder if Candace Bergen and Jane Fonda ever talk about being very successful models in the 60s. Oh, uh, the the successful model to actress pipeline, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Model to movie star to book club pipeline. To marrying European directors. Oh, yeah. They both did that. Yeah. Yeah. Louis Malle and Roger Vadim. Lots in common. Yeah, we'll be first in line. What is there no better double feature than the Nicole Kidman AMC ad into the book club sequel? No, that's heaven. That's like the Chromatica 2 into 911. <laughs> and I hope before that are all just like coastal grandma Nancy Myers knockoff film trailers before. God bless. Got to live until then. So something tells me Chelsea's going to want me to do this transition because I can think of No more difficult segue from book club to to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard verdict. 
So I was wrong. I'm willing to admit. <laughs> yeah, you were. You led me astray and our listeners. I mean, to be fair, my legal analyst that I watch. <laughs> the one with the purple hair? Yes, Emily D. Baker also thought he was not going to win. She thought he was going to win on one count, the first one. So he not only won, he won all three counts. So count one was the headline. I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. The jury found that it was defamatory and was made with actual malice. Count two, then two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse and felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women to speak up was defamatory and was made with actual malice. And then count three was her insinuating that Johnny Depp had sexually assaulted her. They found that that was defamatory. But they did find that Johnny Depp had defamed Amber Heard on one instance. And I see people that are very pro-Amber Heard running away with this being like, oh, well, the jury, the jury found that he did abuse her. Like, what the fuck is this about? No. The one count that they found for Amber was her counterclaim was based on his former lawyer's statements that he made on Twitter. And the one that they found untrue and sided with her was that she did not destroy Johnny Depp's apartment. I guess they proved that Johnny Depp has destroyed his apartment enough. Right. And he probably That should did be that. easy to prove. Yeah. So Johnny Depp was awarded $10 million in compensatory damages and $5 million in punitive damages. So punitive damages are like, fuck you money. Compensatory damages are, you lost out on work, probably $10 million worth. They awarded Amber Heard $2 million in compensatory damages. How they came up with that is that is her alleged salary for Aquaman 2, and then zero in punitive damages. Heard is planning to appeal. Right. I think Johnny Depp is just going to say, you know what, she doesn't have to pay me. Because I think that's going to be the classier move. Because for him, I don't think it was about money. Right. Then why didn't he sue her for a dollar like Taylor Swift? I don't know. That's the classier move. <laughs> So did you want both of them to just lose and not have to pay each other? I thought it was going to go that way. And I was... That was my thinking. I was neutral to kind of anti-Amber Heard on this. But now that Johnny Depp has won, I am pro-Amber Heard because I am... And I don't use this word a lot. Like, I'm genuinely pretty jaded. But I am quite disturbed about how this is going to go down in the pop culture. Because... I believe this is very bad, bad for victims. I wanted them both to lose just so it's like, okay, well, who's to say? This was a terrible situation where there was mutual abuse and... Yes, because now, for those who didn't pay attention, which only weirdos like me paid attention, or Johnny Depp stands and like, we don't want them in this conversation, but like, Amber Heard has now become a verb, right? From now right. on, it's going to be like, did he beat her up or is she Amber Heard-ing him? Yeah, that's true. It's that's also, really bad. It's also unfortunate that her last name does rhyme with hurt. And with turd, which seems to be what everyone is calling her. Ugh. Well. I really don't have much to say yeah, other than I, I'm very bummed out. Yeah, let's move on to something less depressing. Like the limited series based on the documentary about a husband allegedly killing his wife by pushing her down a flight of stairs? Exactly. Let's talk about the staircase. I've been loving this staircase. Yet another documentary to prestige series pipeline show that I vowed I was never going to watch because I watched the documentary during the Christmas of 2018 like all of us did on Netflix. What more did I need to see? But guess what? I needed to see Colin Farrell talk about having bisexual affairs. <laughs> it is really gripping. 
Do you know that the son in the beginning of the episode, the son that ends up going to Cancun, that is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver's son? I did know that, yes. Before I started watching the series, I saw the the hubbub on Twitter where people were like, wow, he can actually act. And I was like, that's rude. But then I started watching the series. I said, wow, he's a good actor. Everyone in this can act. The acting is fantastic. I mean, Colin Firth, obviously incredible. Tony Collette, just the death scenes, the multiple death scenes. Because if you're familiar with this case, there are many theories that have been tossed around as to how Kathleen Peterson could have died. And this series visualizes all of them. I don't know what's worse. Would you rather be murdered by a repressed bisexual or like attacked by a vicious owl? Or just she simply fell down the stairs on her own accord. I think that's the scariest one, maybe. Yeah. Because in that scenario, which I believe is the first one is shown, she's okay until she falls backwards again. Right. Twitter has been a real force to get me to watch certain things. And I decided to dive in when I saw someone posting Parker Posey, Mm -hmm. who's part of the prosecution team, and this clip of her being like, they were sucking and fucking. (laughs) And I was like, all right, I'm in. (laughs) Yeah, that's all it took for me to. Did I watch eight hours of this documentary? Yes. (laughs) I really hope that was a deliberate marketing strategy on the part of someone working at what? HBO Max. Someone working at HBO Max is like, we got just got to circulate this screen cap of Parker Posey talking about rim jobs and literally every gay person will watch this. Do you know what a rim job is? Do you know what analingus is? So good. It's like cunnilingus, but on the other side. <laughs> I also love uh, Juliet Binoche. Okay. An unexpected addition. I kept being like, who is this actress that looks so much like Juliette Binoche? It's Juliette Binoche. Yeah. And there's some controversy. Again, before I started watching the series itself, I was reading about this controversy where one of the editors, because there is this crime event, and then for reasons unknown, before the trial even began, Michael Peterson and his legal team agreed for a French documentary team to film the entire trial. And when he was in prison, he started an affair or emotional affair affair with a long distance emotional affair with the editor of the documentary which is not shown in the documentary itself but is shown in this limited series and i saw this hubbub from the documentarians and this editor being like they took this so out of context i don't like how i'm being portrayed i was like well that's kind of fucked up that they took this creative liberty and just made it seem like michael peterson had a relationship with the editor and then i read the article and she was like no no no, i did have an affair (laughs) with him but i just you know i just wanted to be known that i kept my objectivity it's like lady (laughs) girl we should all be lucky enough for juliette binoche to portray us in a limited series no matter what this series says we did in our lives it's so true i googled the woman because i was like is she that hot she's not but not to be rude but if there was a limited series about my life and they made me as someone that was a carnival geek and bit the heads off of chickens, but Juliet Binoche was me and doing it, I'd be like, okay. Yeah. Let's do this. Do you think he did it? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we attempted to watch the Angeline series. We did. Guys, Ooh. we tried. And Should by we tried, continue? I got through the entire first episode. What about you? I couldn't do that. And it's, it's pretty dark because it's like, who is the audience for this show, if not us? Like, we're obsessed with Angeline. 
for those who don't live in Los Angeles, Angeline is, I mean, she's the OG Instagram thought, if you think about it. She was someone that in the early 80s and throughout the 90s and 2000s bought out billboards, which cost tens of thousands of dollars to do. And it was just her in hot pink and her blonde hair. Like it's such a touchstone of my childhood because I remember seeing the Angeline billboards everywhere. And up until like 2014, 2015, I would see her, you would see Angeline in the pink Corvette. Oh, I still see her all the time. I don't see her anymore. I see her all the time. But anyway, she was always this mysterious figure because no one could figure out what her background was, how she could afford these billboards, what she was trying to do with any of this. And then in 2019, The Hollywood Reporter wrote an expose about her life, which is the basis of this miniseries. But again, not all podcasts articles, documentaries need to be prestige limited series with our best character actors. They can just be movies. (laughs) They can literally just be movies. Whatever happened to movies? Yeah. So I'm like saying that like whatever happened to fun? (laughs) Nobody has fun anymore. It is true. It's like, hey, remember The Runaways? The Runaways would now be like an eight part (laughs) series, which honestly not no. (laughs) Not no. (laughs) But what a great film. And you know what? Angeline could have been a wonderful film. Still put it on fucking Peacock. What happened to things that are just two hours, Chelsea? Yeah, but one thing I immediately took issue with was the makeup that they used to age her is so incorrect. It looks so far from how Angeline actually looks in the present day. I actually didn't get that it was the present day. I was like, oh, is this her like in like 2005 or something? Right. Like, they didn't go full old. They didn't go, like, Julianne Moore in the hours level aging makeup. I mean, to be fair, Angeline doesn't look that old, so that is an inherent issue. I mean... You're right. I've seen her more recently than you, clearly. Not to be a bitch, love Angeline. But I'm just saying, it. it's like so, to me, it was so far away that it really made it impossible for me to accept that this was set in present day. Also, not everything needs to be an hour-long episode. That's what I was more shocked by. I think if these were 30-minute episodes, Mm. it would also be more palatable. Totally. The one thing that I do like is they push the limits of the unreliable narrator, and that's fun. That I found interesting, but it's also like, I don't... I read the Hollywood Reporter article. I would see her around. I know that Angeline is now also mad at this series, but it's like, put up the original Angeline posters to promote the goddamn show. I know. Can you imagine? I think that's maybe what I'm the most disappointed by. It's like, imagine just being able to recreate those billboards with Emmy Rossum as Angeline and choosing not to. Well, they did. And it's the reason that I thought this show came out two years ago is when they were shooting it, they did that. But not to fucking promote the show. Right. I think I saw some of those too. Yeah. What else? In things we do like, I've noticed that people like to say that we don't like anything. Guys, we like things. And do you know one thing we do like? Nay, not even like love. Uh, Gene Smart as Deborah Vance on Hacks. Ugh, love this season. I do too. If you haven't watched the show, it is the tale of a Joan Rivers-esque comedian and her long-suffering joke writer slash personal assistant slash best friend that she does everything with. Yeah, it's a it's a buddy comedy of our time. 
Yeah. To me, watching this show, it's just like easy and simple. Like, I feel like I'm curled up under a warm, cozy blanket, like drinking cocoa or some shit, which is the same effect that book club has on me. I guess this is just like my continuing obsession with women of a certain age stuff. Yeah. It make more things like this. Yeah. Well, it does get back to the whole Michael Patrick King because his initial complaint is that we're all ageist people. And that's why we didn't like him just like that. It's like, ah, like we love that. Uh, yeah, we love book club. We love Grace and Frankie. Yeah, totally. I will say Ava annoys me at times, but I ultimately want her to succeed. And I'm always very stressed on her behalf. And when I was watching this season, I realized like every single episode is her just doing really mean shit to Deborah. And then it's like Deborah's gonna find out about it. So she's like scrambling behind the scenes to prevent catastrophe. And then Deborah just ends up like forgiving her. What you're describing is an old school sitcom premise. I mean, that's I Love Lucy, that's Welcome yeah. Back Hotter, that's any kind of sitcom from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah, I have to say I really loved the Lesbian Cruise episode. I thought it was so incredibly legit. So often when there's a very special lesbian episode of something, <laughs> it misses the mark. There's some like person that's supposed to be a butch dyke wearing like hip huggers it's it's a weird vibe but this was so legit I was like this actually is the community and I love that Margaret Cho was playing herself that's a perfect detail yes the the revelation that she's not just booked on a gay cruise it's a lesbian cruise (laughs) what a nightmare and Deborah doesn't do well with the lesbians no comics do except for like Margaret Cho and even I'm sure she offends some people she's more of a gay man's comic oh Hannah Gatsby lesbians love yeah you know like think about it I am thinking about it because all the lesbian like Leah like Sandra Bernhardt Bernhardt. those are like gay man's comics wow yeah that really blew my mind and then there's ones that appeal like more to like straight people like Wanda Sykes right is kind of like everyone's comedian I love Wanda Sykes same Also, Hacks is so good that I actually don't want to discuss it too much in detail because if you haven't watched it, you guys should watch it. But this whole season is, I will say... And I swear HBO Max is not paying us to say this. And they never will because we only (laughs) say lovely things about them for free. Why do they need to pay us at all? Yeah, like I'll do... I'm doing like... I'm over here doing free spawn for their floral competition show that no one watched. (laughs) But this season at the, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler. At the end of last season, Deborah Vance makes the choice to kind of blow up her act that she's been doing for 30 years and start fresh. So they are on a tour where Deborah is getting humbled. What did you think about Lori Metcalf as the bus tour manager? Yeah, incredible. Incredible. Yes, I did feel her when she said that she got her fast food meal from three separate places. (laughs) Yeah, you would do that. She was like, I get, what was it? She was like, I get the... Whopper from Bur- Burger King. I know she, I know she got a Frosty from Wendy's, but she got the fries Yeah, the Frosty else. from Wendy's. The fries from McDonald's, of obviously. Course. Yeah. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah. Who could argue with that meal? And I am obsessed with her COO, CEO, Marcus, who is having a complete meltdown this season because he chose work over love. Except I got really stressed when he almost killed his French bulldog. Yeah. That's like my worst nightmare come to life, basically. Is that you're just doing E all night and your dog (laughs) accidentally? Yes, Lauren. Anyway, watch Hacks. I don't want to talk about it too much because it's so good. Yeah. Shall we move on to 
Well, hold on. I do. I need to talk about an obsession that only I care about, but I need to infect you with it. Okay, okay. I have been watching a terrible show called The Time Traveler's Wife. Okay, let me Google this. It is based on a book. It was a movie with Rachel McAdams. And the whole premise... This looks aggressively heterosexual, just from the images that are coming up. Oh, yeah. But in the intervening years from when the book and certainly the movie came out to now, there's so much of a conversation about grooming. And the thesis of the book is that a grown man goes to visit a little girl. He time travels. When he arrives, he is naked. And he talks to this young girl from the ages of six, six to 18. He visits her 152 times and just hangs out with her. And, you know, from the time that the last film came out to now this series, we've had such a conversation about older men grooming young girls. Yeah, I was about to say, is this the story of Celine Dion's husband or what? You would think. And I'm like, okay. I'm like romance novel trash, so I can buy, this is his soulmate, he can time travel, he's visiting her. But then in the second episode, when she finally meets him when they're about the same age, although that younger version doesn't know her because the older versions are visiting her when she's younger, it doesn't make any sense. But she's upset because they sleep together and it's revealed that he does have a girlfriend because this younger version didn't know about her. And then she does a whole monologue about how, like, you know what hurts the most? I've been engineered to love you and only be attracted to you. And I was like, oh, no, that's grooming. That's the definition of grooming. But what made me watch this show, like The Staircase, is I saw a tweet that revealed that... Parker Posey talking about rim jobs again? Chell? In the second episode... 16-year-old him is getting blown by 16-year-old him. Him? Oh, that's amazing. I'd watch that. Okay, that's why I started watching it, Chelsea. (laughs) But it's so bad. Yeah, I'd watch that. But, like, to put it another way, Chelsea, it would be as if you now were a time traveler and went back to 2001 naked. You arrive in Tad's backyard (laughs) naked and for a decade just talk to her and tell her about how like great sweet green is and baby bells well she is 11 years younger than me so it is a little unseemly and there's eight years between the the two main characters as well but it's like it's odd i'm in now i can't stop watching it okay well let me know how it ends i mean with him in jail (laughs) it's a book it's another curious thing to make this a tv show because there's a book and there's a definitive ending so it's like how many seasons could this go on for remember when they only made like these long spanning things about books where there's like a series of books like it's narnia or harry potter and shit right now it's like they'll take any book and turn it into 10 episodes of television that's where we are how the fuck does that work well but in the case of weetsy bet we can't wait (laughs) truly all right now we must kardash Kardash, a holics anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> Where to start? Well, so much has happened in the past few days that I think most people have forgotten over the weekend. Just Jared had these pictures of Kim and Pete outside her photo studio with what seems to be Pete's hair being dyed bleach blonde, to which I say Skims ad with the both of them. Or is it skin beauty or skin skincare? What's it called? Just skin? Skin. Her new skincare line, yes. which was also announced this week. It could be that. 
because as we learned from the accompanying New York Times profile about the launch of Skin Beauty, they're both skincare fanatics. That, yes, we did learn that from the most recent Kardashian episode. Right. So there's that. Yeah, but at some point she has to launch Skims for Hims. Yeah. Skim for him. Well, Hims. Hims is already the name of that vitamin company that A-Rod is always right. shilling for. And you know those are dick pills, right? That's just like rebranded millennial packaging dick pills. Yeah. Anyway. I hope so. Yeah, it's definitely happening. It's incoming. That much we know. What do you think about the skin packaging? Sure, why not? I mean, I don't think... Yeah, same. So the products are sustainably minded, but they're not recyclable. Okay. But they're refillable. Fillable. Which I think is cool. Yes. Well, you know that I already have an alarm set for June 21st, 12 p.m. EST, to get us the nine product range, which is $630. Okay, we can't spend $630 on this shit. The people... Ask this of us, Chelsea. It is a business We are not spending $600 on this. Let's get like half of it or something. I'll spend $300 between the two of us out of the company. We have to follow Kim's nine-step skincare. (laughs) What are you doing, (laughs) Chelsea? We can't half-ass it. Does someone that does PR for this listen to this? Does someone know someone? I don't want to have to pay for this. This was the only reason we should have signed with Dear Media for our podcast because there seems to be like an in between the Kim Kardashian beauty world and and Dear Media podcasting. Yeah. All right, so... This is her nine-step process. We've got the cleanser for $43, the toner for $45, exfoliator for $55, hyaluronic acid serum, $90. Okay, Barbara Strum. (laughs) Vitamin CE serum, $90. Face cream, $85. Eye cream, $75. Oil drops, $95. Night oil, $95. All right, I'll I'll agree with you that we should either select the oil drops or the night oil. Yeah, I I think it's about the night oil and the eye cream for me. Yeah. I do respect the fact that while this is insanely expensive... There's no way that Kim is going to actually use a moisturizer that costs $30, which has been the price point of previous Kardashian beauty and skincare enterprises, right? Like KKW Beauty, Fragrance, Kylie Cosmetics, Kylie Skin, that's always been pretty affordable in the scheme of things. It's not a bad price point if you think about it's a more elevated Kardashian brand that is not- Not you justifying this. No, but it's not. It's for people that would want to buy, you know, Augustus Botter or Barbara Strum. Yeah, all that shit's expensive. Right. So it's a step down from that. Sure. Like if you look at Violet Gray and like look at the most expensive shit there, that's like, that's crazy. That's yeah. we're talking about like $500 eye creams and. For sure. Yeah. The only reason that I would buy this stuff is so we can talk about it on the show, but I feel like I'm well in hand with all my beauty products. I don't need anything new, especially because if I'm going to spend a bunch of money on a vitamin C serum, then I'm going to get the SkinCeuticals, like OG vitamin C, Ferulic droplets for like 160 bucks. Right. I'm now realizing as I stare at you in your blank expression that I'm the one that's more likely to have a nine-step beauty routine than you are. You're like, fuck this. I'm just saying it's giving 1%. No, it's giving like 2%. (laughs) That's where she's trying to lean into. 
So I kept seeing this thing about a black-owned business sending Skin Beauty a cease and desist order that was going around yesterday. But the origin of that is from a year ago. Yeah. And when this product launched, there was nothing on. There's a skin company in New York that is a... She's a facialist. Yeah. And I don't believe she actually makes products. No, they they don't make products. Yeah, so they either settled this out of court or it was thrown out i've had to for our business and for other businesses really familiarize myself with trademarking and i think people think that when you trademark you just i've trademarked this thing it's now trademarked well you have to trademark in like specific categories right if they're a skin if they're a facialist then why wouldn't you trademark in because if you're a retail business you most likely are trademarking in class 35 which is a retail business trademark and skincare and cosmetics is class three trademark. Okay. But what I found uh, actually more curious, which I learned when I was researching this, is that Laura Harvey, the daughter of Steve Harvey, and mm-hmm. the owner of some very enviable abs, if you saw her at the Met Gala. For sure. Has a skincare line called Skin, S-K-N. So Kim's label is S-K-K-N. Interesting. I guess a three-letter word is different than a four-letter word Uh, people need to start putting vowels back into their brand names okay we would fix a lot of these problems also am i crazy but wasn't there like a cheesy 90s condom brand yeah named this but there's a y in that i remember that from my brief foray with bisexuality (laughs) there's a y in that oh okay actually that's the poll we should put up is what we're not gonna buy six hundred dollars worth of this beauty line what products should we buy and let people help us We'll buy three. Sure. That seems much more reasonable. New Kardashians episode. Wow. What did we think? The introduction of Pete. Yeah. <laughs> the emancipation of Pete. I've never seen Kim look happier. Yeah, I'm so happy for her. I think it was really telling when she was talking about constantly chasing stuff. Like, oh, I was chasing a career and then I was chasing money. Then I was chasing a relationship. And then she says I was chasing happiness. And it's like, oh, I don't. Yeah, if you're in an unhappy marriage, which she clearly was. But I think she didn't realize how unhappy she was. I don't think she realized how much she was missing by being with Kanye for those last few years. Yeah, but when you're in a marriage like that, you can't see the forest for the trees. Oh, for sure. You know, you're just like, you're so in it. I love that she explained the history behind their romance. And she basically just said, we kissed at SNL. I felt a vibe. He didn't come to my after party. And then I just texted him. I got his number, texted him because I was just down to fuck. I heard he had BDE. I was into it, which is cool. Yeah, I wasn't looking for a relationship. I thought what was crazier is later in the episode, Kim reveals that Megan Fox texted her towards the beginning of her and Pete's relationship and was like, is this really happening? Because Pete texted me months ago and was like, can I get Kim's number? And I was like, you have no shot. Like, I'm absolutely not putting myself out there for you in that way because she's going to say no. Yeah. Megan <laughs> Fox, not the best judge of character. This is shocking. You're always hating on Megan Fox. I think she's trapped in a relationship that she's realized is not going to go anywhere, but she's like, fuck, I really committed publicly to this. Oh, we'll see. Have you not seen those recent videos of her looking bored as fuck and like disassociating on the red carpet when she's with him? No, I have not. I missed that, but I do not doubt it. I love that Courtney's like, she's so much nicer (laughs) since she started dating Pete. So are you, Courtney. Yeah, I think that's also you fucking Travis. And apparently... 
Well, let's play this call. If you guys don't talk about Courtney saying that she is going to drink Travis's cum four times a day, I don't know what would be wrong with this world. Please. Thoughts, prayers, all of this. I can't believe we forgot to talk about that. Doesn't cum have a lot of calories? I mean, it has some calories. Like how, shouldn't you know that? You how think, many do you think for for gay men and heterosexuals, women, they just hand us a, a notebook of fun facts about fucking men and one of which is the calorie count of sperm? It's Each a- teaspoon of ejaculate has five to seven calories. Okay, so that's like nothing. Well, that's also a very tiny amount of ejaculate. A teaspoon? Huh? How much is a load? <laughs> How many ounces in a... <laughs> I can't figure this out. If anyone knows, just uh, DM us. I did, in true Courtney fashion, I did enjoy her scene with Gwyneth Paltrow where Gwyneth Paltrow is actually doing business and Courtney's like, yeah, okay, yeah. It must, yeah. Be, it must be really easy to have a business when someone else is doing everything on your behalf. Totally. But that said, I still think I'll probably buy that candle. Oh, we have to. Yeah, we have to. We have to buy that. Actually, you know what? Those candles are quite expensive. That does cut into the... You're right. We can't buy all of Kim's skin products. You know what I've been saving for us that I keep forgetting to bring over for the Kardashian segment? The very rare Travis Scott Byredo candle, which I have never burned. Ooh. We got to do that one too. What else happened this episode? Speaking of old school sitcoms, this inherent comedy of Chloe walking across the street not even across the street across the driveway to her mother's house yeah i loved the scene where chris was bathing drinking a martini that was great the breaking of the fourth wall has been the best thing about the kardashians like you actually seeing the camera go down when they have to Mm -hmm. exit the room so chris can change for sure when the three of the girls are talking to each other when chloe uh, Kim and Courtney are having lunch together and they're shaking up the salads and they're having a conversation and then Kim just looks up to the camera and she goes, I know how you love when we shake salads, talking to us. We do love when you shake salads. Also, I love that I just discovered that I live very close to a health nut that I never knew existed. This is the establishment where they get those salads. There's one like near the Whole Foods in, oh fuck, where is it? Sherman Oaks or Beverly Hills? Yes, Sherman Oaks. That valley place. Mm -hmm. There's one right there. Makes sense. Yeah, next time uh, I come to record, I'll bring bring you one. We can eat it during the Kardashian segment. And then I think the only other thing of interest was Kim showing off Kim Air. Oh, Kim Air. Wow. Incredible. Cashmere walls? Could you even imagine... I can't imagine such luxury. Yeah, I'm going to be thinking about Kim Air when I get on my um, coach jet blue flight to New York on Wednesday. Middle seat. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely be in the middle. Tat will get like whatever side she's on. Did you watch the preview for next week's episode? Yes, but I already forget it. I mean, it's pretty whatever, but then it seems like we're going to get the reveal of Tristan oh, cheating. Oh, yes, yes. How could I forget? Yeah. yeah. We also got another shot of Chloe's terrifying pantry. Did you see the gif? Yeah, which she said to Scott, she gave up a garage so that she could have this pantry. 
It's so insane. Also, thank you to the people that called in in solidarity with me being horrified by this pantry. I really appreciate the support. Also, as someone, and I understand I'm in a very fortunate position, but as someone that's TV is above their fireplace in the living room, if I design my house from scratch, I would have a dedicated TV room. I also cannot get over. She has a dedicated TV room. There's a screening room. There's a screening room, but like. Well, I would put it not over my fireplace because my last TV was lit on fire during our Christmas party. So that was the best because we were having like a close moment. And then Tad just burst in the room and she was like, don't you fucking notice the TV's on fire? I'm like, oh, come to think of it. I do smell melting plastic. (laughs) This has been fun. Apart from that Johnny Depp, Amber Heard part, this was breezy. I I pray that this is the last time we're talking about that. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening as always. And we'll be back next week with a Sex and the City episode. Yeah, we're doing a low Manolo episode. So anchors away, baby. Get ready. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.